his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. All right, what do we start with? Trisha Siegman's in studio. I've got some real stuff. I've got some goofy stuff. Uh, I guess let's knock this real stuff out of the way quickly because I want to hear the goofy stuff. Senate Democrats unveil new voting rights bill. Now, here's the thing about the, the, the reality of this bill. It already did not pass. But Schumer is still going to try to push this thing through. This isn't H.R. 1. This is the, the, you know, the original bill had some extreme voting changes for the whole country. That was never going to happen. It did pass the House, but it was never going to pass the Senate because of the filibuster. So they're trying to push through this new bill that's a little less extreme. And I wanted to highlight some of these things and get honest, your honest opinion on some of them. Because sure. I'm actually okay with some of these things. And I want to know where you stand because you're not as extreme as I am, I guess you could say. Uh, I'm super, super conservative is going to save the country. No, Jesus is going to save the country. Conservatism is the better way to govern. That's the way I'm going to put it. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> we don't have time to go back to that. No, we don't. We'll do it next we don't. time, maybe. All right. Election day is a federal holiday. I'm okay with that. I'm kind of okay with that, too. I mean, we've got holidays for everything else. I, yeah. If we, if the push is... I, I, here's the thing. I don't know that you can have it both ways. Either... Con, is concessions the right word for it? it we, either we make it easier for people to vote legally, or we make sure that they go to the place on the day. And if we're insisting they go to the place on the day... I get you. I'm yeah. okay with their employer saying... Or even maybe, like, companies are required to allow X amount of time off to vote that day. I don't know what the rules are right now, but... I, I No, I get what you're saying. Because conservatives always say... Day of is the, is the best way to do it. Day of is how we want it. Like, the exception to the rule is voting early. That's the only way it is. Get them to the polls. And I'm cool with that, but... That's fine. Then, like, let's make sure people can get there. No, I, I'm I'm cool with that too. I I, I mean, you're. This is a buying. Like, this is mm-hmm. to buy people's votes for. Oh, this is absolutely. to buy like public favor mm-hmm. for it. But whatever. 
Um, the second one is mandate that each state offers same-day voter registration at all polling locations. Thoughts? Uh, that seems like it could get messy pretty quickly. I agree. And honestly, I wish they'd mandate cleaning up their voter rolls in the first place. There's no reason that I... I was a Missouri resident for six years. Five of them. I was also registered in Illinois. I, I, I agree. I could have voted two places mm-hmm. for five years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and Illinois is fine with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually in here. We'll get to that because okay. that's a part of this thing. All right. Uh, all these things, of course, are to benefit Democrats. Mm-hmm. Like that's Republicans would do the same thing. I'm not saying either party's above that. Republicans are doing things right now to, quote unquote, add to election integrity. But they're going to help Republicans. Democrats are trying to pass these things because they're going to benefit Democrats. Like, that's politics 101. Right. And I don't necessarily even fault them for that. That's just the way politics is. I do, though, as a sort of non-party loyalist, want election integrity to be the absolute highest priority. Because why wouldn't you? I don't get why you wouldn't want that. Yeah. It, it, I, I agree. I just uh, it's a lot of times I feel like our lawmakers make rules instead of just enforcing rules that are already in place to like true like you're not yeah. supposed to be able to vote in two places. Why was I able to do that for so long? Figure that problem out and then we'll decide if we need six extra hours in a day to do it. I, well, I that's know. part of that's part of this is that they say, well, that still happens. Let's do X, Y, Z to fix that. Okay. But let's get through this really quick because we're going to run out of time here. Sorry. Target gerrymandering, like get rid of gerrymandering. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be against sure. that? The problem is how. It doesn't say. It just says let's get rid of gerrymandering. Well, and aren't we doing state by state? This is gerrymandering happens with like the redistricting, like redrawing a map. Yes, right? that's happening right now. And I feel like we've already like they're doing the opposite in a lot of these states. It's by worse than to it's ever been. Like a a person to do that. That's elected or partisan, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the state and it depends on what's going on, but nobody's figured out how to fix the problem. And so saying, let's fix that problem. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me how you want to fix the problem. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like, uh, sure. Uh, Requiring states to provide automatic voter registration. That's at the DMV. A lot of states do that already. That's not that big of a deal. No, fine. Um, requiring- but at the same time, take people... I'm sorry, go no, ahead. Go ahead. I'm, stuck. No, it's, I'm still stuck on this. If you're going to register somebody to vote in a state, make sure they're off the other state when you do it. Like There should be a system in place to have that happen, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, require states to allow those with felony convictions to vote. I'm actually okay with that. Same. If you served your time, you're back in the society, mm-hmm. why not? Um, here's where it gets bad, though. Uh, v- drop boxes for votes every 15,000 people. Oh, that's unsecure. Yeah, you just put just put a box there. Anybody can put anything in it. We'll just assume it's a vote. I'm picturing like a, one of those shoe boxes that kids decorate. Yeah, with, like, right. Stick the glue the buttons on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut a big like square put vote at the top. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can put a vote there. Great. Your vote here. I'll put a few. Why not? <laughs> um, and here's the the last one that we'll get to today. There's a couple other things in here, and and they're they're worse as they go, but we're running out of time. And, and it's the one that you said: target voter rolls. Uh, states like Indiana and Ohio have been cleaning up their voter rolls. This is saying, no, you can't do that. What? Yeah. Yeah. Targeting voter roll removal. As in, you, states that are trying to remove voters due to inactivity or non-response to mailings would be limited. Why? Why? Yeah. It, it gets worse from there. I mean, the overall point of this is that it's probably not going to pass, but... 
<laughs> is it so what are they doing virtue signaling acting like what, no what they really Schumer do want to they really do want to pass this but they're not they don't have enough votes yet to overcome the filibuster so they would have to get rid of the filibuster but they have to convince mansion or cinema or, or both i think to get rid of the filibuster on this one issue here's the thing mansion is actually a co-sponsor of this bill so he may be on board with it whether he wants to get rid of the filibuster, though, that's a pretty big deal. But it could happen. That's what's kind of scary about some of this stuff. Uh, not all of it. Real quick, can I promo what's ahead? Do you know what's ahead? Tell me again. Peter Navarro. What? He is coming up in the next segment. I cannot wait to talk to this guy. So, yeah, I did hear you mention that he says some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, we recorded it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people won't wake up at 6 o'clock on Saturday morning to be on the show. So that's fine. Except for me. So we recorded that's it. That's why I'm here all Thank the time. you. <laughs> you never leave here. You woke me up to talk about your bathroom <laughs> I just habits. walked in the studio and kicked your bed and <laughs> said, get up. It's radio time. <laughs> but Peter, Peter Navarro is next. I will tease this. It's one of the most explosive interviews I've ever done. The guy is a Trump advisor, White House guy. He was in the Oval Office for all of the stuff. He's firsthand knowledge on all the things that we've talked about over the last year. And he drops some bombs in this thing that I, I, I couldn't believe. I mean, we get into it a little bit slowly because I ask him some questions at first that are a little more personal. But on the backhand, I, I was like, dude, please stick around. But he had to go. So we got about 15 minutes coming up with Peter Navarro. Please stick around. That's next on Wiggins America. Very excited. Very, very excited. Been, been so for a couple weeks since I knew that we were going to talk to Peter Navarro. Here he is the former assistant to President Donald Trump, and he is kind enough to give us a little bit of time here this morning on Wiggins America. Thank you so much, Peter Navarro. Great to be with you on Wiggins America. Yeah. <laughs> nice day here in D.C. in the swamp, uh, but they're probably plotting to do damage against the American economy even as we speak. Well, it's that kind of uh, forthrightness is the reason that I, I was excited to talk to you in particular. Let me ask you this first. For all the kids listening, how does one end up the assistant to the president? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's a long and winding road. I think, I think the thing is you never have that dream, right? I think what you want to just do in life is, uh, is p- pursue your passion and do it in a way which which equips you with the best education and training you can. Stay true to your principles, and sometimes good things happen. And it was a, a good thing to serve uh, President Trump. I, you know, as I describe in the In Trump Time book, I'm, I was only one of three senior White House officials who actually lasted from uh, the campaign in 2016 all the way to the end. Um, it was a it was a grueling. Uh, journey. Uh, a lot of people fell by the wayside uh, for incompetence or disloyalty or treachery or anything in between. But it was an honor uh, to serve the greatest president in modern history. And uh, the In Trump Time book is, is uh, the subtitle kind of says it all. It's a journal of America's plague year. And it, it, I did keep a daily journal. So it's based on that journal rather than, than memory. And uh, we went, uh, the arc of the In Trump Time book goes from what I call the Red Wedding chapter in Chapter 1, where we meet up with the uh, evil communist Chinese uh, when they're about to give us the virus, um, runs through the arc of all the time I spent 
trying to make sure Americans were safe by getting them their PPE and their therapeutic and eventually their vaccine. And then uh, we the, the interim time book ends with uh, a forthright data-based uh, analysis of what happened on both November 3rd, the election, and January 6th um, on Capitol Hill. And um, I think by the time people get finished reading the interim time book, um, they will immediately want Tony Fauci not only fired, but strapped into a chair on Capitol Hill to confess what are many, many crimes against the American people, and then put in an orange jumpsuit for lying to Congress. Um, they will certainly want the Chinese Communist Party to be held accountable for uh, this deadly virus, which was spawned in a Wuhan bioweapons lab. And uh, there will be uh, many, many more Americans, it's already over half Americans, who will believe rightly that the election was stolen and that we need full forensic audits across the 50 states because we've seen in, in, the, in the, these six months that, that elections have consequences. And uh, this, <laughs> I mean, you have to, it's like, it's like black, dark humor, right? It's like, you can't, this guy, Biden, the Biden regime just has screwed up things beyond beyond anyone's wildest nightmare and his polling approval rating of 29 percent with independence kind of underscores that yeah it's it's remarkable and you you hit on a lot of the things that i wanted to hit on so let's let's just drill into some of the topics that you brought up just now uh first because the title of your book is in trump time a journal of america's plague year i wanted to start there with you and just ask you know you mentioned that China unleashed this thing on the world. At what point in the administration did you guys realize, oh, this is going to be a thing? I mean, you guys are always watching out for whatever's coming next, I'm sure. But at what point did you realize this is going to be a world changer? And then is there anything looking back that you feel like, you know what, we, we actually didn't get enough credit for fill in the blank and then vice versa. Is there anything you would have done differently looking back now? Well, when you say you guys, uh, I have to really separate myself from the pack. Uh, in, in the interim time book, uh, I, I, I talk about what I call the, uh, the Council of Virus Deniers in the White House, who really did a great disservice to the president uh, by downplaying the severity. Um, I, have, I have a really unique perspective um, because in 2006 in my coming China Wars book the first in the trilogy on China I actually predicted that China would likely spark a viral pandemic that would kill millions okay now parse that for me. think about that let that sink in 2006 so I fast forward now to the, the red wedding chapter one in the White House where I'm sitting in the audience watching President Trump on stage with Vice Premier Leo Ha. They're there to sign that, that awful skinny deal. Um, and I'm at that point, January 15, 2020, I already know that they're burning bodies over time in the Wuhan crematoria, that there's a virus on the loose. And so uh, I was unique among White House officials um, in understanding that we were likely in for very, very t- 
tough times. And as I was sitting there in the audience, I was thinking to myself, what do these Chinese communists know that, that they aren't telling us? Could they be infected? And if so, why'd they shake my hand last night, much less sit next to the president and vice president today? But most importantly, most importantly, I'm thinking to myself, could this be a bioweapon hmm. that is designed to take out the only president who has ever stood up to the Chinese communists? And the interim time book takes off from there. And you ask me what what we didn't get credit for. The, the whole uh, first third of the book talks about how I worked with the president in Trump time, which is to say as quickly as possible, uh, to get um, vaccine uh, to market, to get ventilators and things like that. And so the vaccine itself, on February 9th, I'm sitting there in my office at the White House drafting a memo to the task force, and I said on behalf of the president, look, if we move now, uh, we can get a vaccine by October or November. Now, Now think about that, too. Uh, that was in a third of the time it usually takes. But we hit that mark. Mm-hmm. We hit that mark. And the way we did it, and I talk about it in the In Trump Time book, is we turned the development process on its head. We went from kind of the usual sequential development, which takes a year and a half or two or more, to uh, what I call a simultaneous process where we were ready to mass produce whatever vaccine that might be able to, to work um, immediately upon approval, right? And so that's, you know, we, we, we don't get credit for that. Uh, there's a great chapter uh, called uh, Kill the Chicken, Scare the Monkey, which talks about how the president used the Defense Production Act to um, basically motivate, <laughs> and I say that tongue-in-cheek, General Motors to stand up a ventilator factory in an astonishing 17 days. Um, and we were able to, to move with the help of UPS, and God bless them, uh, ventilators out of that factory in Kokomo into um, uh, hospitals in, in Chicago and, uh, and uh, Indiana uh, literally by the 20th day. So there's that lost February. I mean, it's like Woodward and those pirates and liars and propagandists like, continually spin this narrative about a lost February when, in fact, uh, at least the president uh, was fast out of the gate, and I was the tip of his spear, even as there were people um, slowing him down. I, I, you know, and the one thing I would say about this is, like, look, the whole Democrat media strategy was to blame Trump instead of China, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of was their mission, and part of that was, was to spin this lost February narrative. Uh, but the president was all over this from January 28th and the travel ban from getting the vaccine moving and everything like that. And it, it was, it was um, here, here's, here's the point. I make it in the In Trump Time book. What was the job of Azar, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Han at the FDA, Redfield at the CDC and, and St. Fauci, the most evil man in America. Their job, right, they were in government to have a plan in case we had a pandemic. And if I had to die for every time I sat in the Oval with those clowns, when the president asked them what should, what should be doing and they had nothing, I'd have a lot of dimes. My point is that, that, that 
those people failed the president um, as well. But, uh, you know, if you look back at, at what we were accomplishing, everybody needed a ventilator, got a ventilator. We were able to flood the zone with PPE. But Cuomo, had, and Cuomo I, I light him up pretty good in the In Trump Time book. Um, you know, he, you know, we were sending him ventilators, we're sending him ships. And he never uses this stuff because he's in a pissing contest with the Blasio, the mayor of New York. So these are the kinds of things people need to know. Um, I'm hoping that the In Trump Time book will get out there. It's on Amazon now. Uh, but but um, thank you so much for, for having me on the show because uh, a lot of the mainstream media is going to try to bury bury this book and bury the truth as they always do. Yeah, yeah. And Peter Navarro is on the phone with his former assistant to President Trump. Let me ask you really quick about something you said there because I, I find it interesting. But I do want to ask about election integrity before we lo- run out of time, too. Sure. Um, sure. When, when you say you sat in the Oval Office with some of these guys, you know, the, the, the heads of these medical organizations that work for the government, you're saying that even in February of 2020, these guys were just look, looking at you blank stares? Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, take Fauci. I mean, look, there's a great chapter, chapter two in, in there. It's like, um, this is the first time I meet Fauci, right? I didn't know who he was, didn't know he walked on water, didn't know he was the media god, right? Just a guy, right? It's like, okay, so I go in the, in the sit room on January 28th, and I, I go there on behalf of the president to argue on behalf of the travel man on China, right? And I got, you know, Mulvaney's down at the end of the table, acting chief of staff, chair of the meeting. I got Pompeo's guy on the left shoulder. Redfield's there. Azar's there. This little guy with his little round glasses there sitting there. I didn't know who he was. And two minutes in, two minutes in, I'm in it, you know, just in a violent shouting match with the SOB, right? And he's insisting over and over again that travel bands don't work. And I go, dude. And I said, dude, to him. I said, dude. It's like, you mean to tell me you got 20,000 Chinese nationals coming in, many of them from Wuhan, many of them likely infected uh, to Chicago, LAX, and New York, that, that we'd be better off letting them just keep coming in, right? And that's what I knew right there, right there. I knew two things. I knew this guy thinks he's smarter than he is, and he's going to hurt both the president and this country. Mm. And, and what I didn't know that day was that Fauci already knew that that thing was a bioweapon from the Wuhan lab because we, we got his emails now, and one of his emails on January 28th from a researcher at Scripps Institute said, hey, this is likely a bioweapon. And as soon as Fauci got that email, he knew because he, he was the guy who gave money to that Wuhan bioweapons lab and authorized, more importantly, the gain-of-function experiments which were used to take a, a benign bat virus and turn it into a, an American killer. So, okay? yeah. So this man is evil. And by, yes, if nothing else, read in Trump Time, buy it on Amazon, give it to a friend, and get mad enough to get that SOB not only fired, but put in a chair on Capitol Hill, strapped in there, make him confess his crimes, and then send him off to get indicted for lying to Congress and put him in an orange jumpsuit. That man does not belong on television anymore unless it's in a trial for all the evil he's done.
Yeah, it's amazing that his reputation... I can't believe, after everything that publicly we know, aside from the things that you're talking about right now, that he is still revered and is on the Today Show. You know, he's just out there doing his thing still after everything that's come out about him that nobody seems to care that he's just... He's, he's, we got bobbleheads of him, so let's just uh, ignore all the stuff you're talking about right now. Uh, Peter Navarro. Yeah, I, one, one yeah go things, ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I'll tell you about, I mean, like, like, like when I, on February 9th, when I'm writing this vaccine memo, never did I or President Trump dream that they would turn this, this, this gift to God for, for people who really need it, like elderly people or, or sick people. Um, into a weapon to take to take one's job, and that's what you know. Fauci's going out there, and he's he's putting people on the unemployment line in the middle of the worst economic crisis we have we faced uh, by by these 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 uh, vaccine mandates. It's like, and they're not science based. It just it makes no sense to force healthy people or people who have had the virus to take the vaccine. I'm the first to say, hey, if you're over sixty. Get the vaccine. If you got comorbidities, get the vaccine. If you're a kid in school, keep that needle away from their arms. It's just wrong. Masks, kids, no. Sorry, Tony. Yeah. Stop killing Americans, dude. You're just ruining this country, this economy. You're an evil man. And I, I think people are, have, a lot of people got the message. You know, that movie came out about him from Disney. You know, Disney was trying to pimp him. And uh, like five percent of the audience liked it, and, the, and the, the critics loved it, of course. But that's see, that's the thing. It's like the mainstream media and their narrative simply nobody's buying that anymore. They listen to shows like yours, sir. Uh, they get the truth. They watch CNBC, uh, excuse me, CNN, and and they don't get the truth. Well, Matt, that's great. Yeah, I, I feel like I have about twenty other things. That I want to talk to you. So we're going to have to have you back sometime soon, Peter Navarro, if that's okay. Um, but sure. definitely want to plug the book. Yeah. Uh, it's coming out on uh, the anniversary of the election, and uh, we'll, we'll get on afterwards. We'll go blow by blow through these uh, SOBs because uh, this, for this Trump time book is a mission for me. People need to read it, and then it's action, action, action. We need to, we need to change things here because we're, we're going off a cliff. Absolutely. Yeah. So the book is called In Trump Time, A Journal of America's Plague Year, and you can order it now. Peter Navarro, thank you so much for your time this morning on Wiggins America. Hey, my friend. You take care of yourself. You know, I already talked about this a little bit at the beginning, or sorry, at the end of last hour. But I think I did such a bad job. I just want to re- rehash this. And I know everybody's not listening to every minute of the show, too. So if you didn't catch the end of the 6 o'clock hour, I'm, I'm going over the same topic here. So I wrote this article. It's at 971talk.com. And I want to quote from it directly. Because last hour, you know, since I wrote the article, I was just kind of reciting the numbers from memory. Well, there's a lot of numbers and I think it, I would do better to communicate it straight from the page. And then if you get lost in the numbers a little bit, you can always go view it too. But this is basically about the CDC. And can you trust the data that's coming out of the CDC? I naturally have a skeptical eye that I cast toward anything from the government anymore, especially from these organizations like the CDC who have <clears throat> a political axe to grind. No, I wish it wasn't that way. Um, And in the past, I don't think that it used to be that way, or at least not nearly as much as it is now. I'm sure politics have always played a part in everything. 
But these alphabet soup organizations, you know, they're, they're control, they have their own agenda. And a lot of times that agenda is to push themselves forward or the individual careers of the people involved. In this case, the CDC and Pfizer and Moderna, especially Pfizer, there's a lot of crossover with people who either used to work at the CDC and now work at Pfizer or vice versa. So that already is suspect. And then you factor in politics and the fact that the guy in the White House and the, the administration that's running things right now seem to want a pandemic, at least in terms of their ability to expand government. Now, somebody's going to pull quote it and say, Ryan thinks that Biden loves killing people. And that's not necessarily the case. I hope it's not. Um, but I do think that they like using that power to expand power. There's no doubt that they're doing that. I mean, everybody can see that they're doing that. Um, so when I started writing this article, the, the point was to find out about a claim that I had seen made that uh, I was interested to find. Actually, I thought, well, that's an interesting take. You know, let me, let me dig into the numbers. Because the question was, are COVID deaths, especially from the last year and a half, impacting the worker shortage? In other words, have so many people died from COVID that normally would not have been, it would, would have been around right now, that that's why we're having a worker shortage. I saw somebody claim that. So I started looking into that. And it was actually very easy to find that, no, that's not true. The average age of death is above 70. Those people weren't in the workforce anyway. So that that isn't a, a valid criticism. But it made me look into, well, how many people have died from COVID at least in 2020, we don't have this year's numbers yet. And a lot of you know the statistics people don't even have 2020 yet. They, they wait for a year or two to put out those, that, those data. But the CDC has put it out, and a couple other organizations have put out the death total from 2020. And then foreign governments have too. So the best way to look at coronavirus to see if it truly has decimated any population, including the United States... And I'm quoting directly from the article here, is to look at <clears throat> the death statistics in terms of number per thousand, because that can account for any any population. So if you have a sparse population, you know, like, uh, for instance, Sweden or Australia, they're smaller populations than the United States. Or if you have a giant population like the United States or in between, like the UK, no matter what, you can compare apples to apples when you do deaths per thousand. And when you look at 2020, you can compare 2020 to previous years. So a lot of what people do is they compare 2020 to 2019. Well, that's not really giving you a full picture. That's giving you a one-year difference. If you compare 2020's deaths to all of the last 20 years, so I did from 1999 on. So 1999 through 2019, basically that's 21 years. The average amount of deaths per thousand compared to 2020. And what I found was that in Australia, get ready for this. Here's the numbers. In Australia, there was actually a 13% decrease in the number of deaths in 2020 as compared to the last 21 years. In the UK, there was an 8% increase on average but it's actually pretty comparable to bad flu years in the UK, particularly 1999 and 2003 were both worse years than 2020 in the UK. In the USA, though, 
according to CDC data, there was a 25% increase in deaths. And a lot of that can be attributed to COVID. So I thought, man, why is the USA, why are why do we have such a dramatic increase in the number of deaths in 2020 over our last 20-year average versus other Western nations that are a lot like us in terms of healthcare? Australia, UK, those are places where you can get healthcare and they've got pretty much the same kind of stuff as we do. But they they saw, you know, in Australia again, a 13% decrease, UK an 8% increase. We had this massive 25% increase in the number of deaths per thousand. Why is that? So I started digging further. And the natural, when I said that, I, I said this on the Annie Fry Show early in the week. When I cited those numbers, Brad, the producer, said, well, that's probably because, and this is what they attribute to anyway, because the UK and the U, uh, Australia were much more compliant with lockdowns and quarantines than the USA was. Some of us were compliant with it. Others of us fought it. And so the USA, we have this this reputation for being rebels, rugged individuals, and we fought those things more, and so we paid the price in deaths. That would be the narrative, right? If anybody's even looking into these numbers, that would be the narrative. Nobody is, so there it is for you. <clears throat> but... When I looked into it further, I was like, well, why did the U.S. see so much higher, such a, such a higher number of deaths? So it, is it that we really did fight quarantines and masks and those things really did work? I'm willing to explore that. So I looked at Sweden. Sweden has notoriously been anti-lockdown pretty much from the start. I think in March and April, everybody was kind of like, yeah, we're going to do what it takes. But pretty soon after that is when Sweden started to say, no, we're not going to do anything. And they've, they've been kind of the story internationally that they've bucked the trend of everybody else, especially in Europe and the Western world. So I said, well, Sweden's a good example then. If Sweden's death numbers look like ours or higher, then we'll know that it is those lockdowns, it's those mitigation efforts that we fought somewhat that other nations didn't, and that's that's why it happened. And those those efforts did work. But Sweden actually was just like Australia. They saw a 6% decrease in the number of deaths, and they didn't do any of the lockdown stuff or very little of it. They were even fighting masks like in May of 2020. So it's not the lockdowns. It's not the government stuff that caused the increase. I mean, we're still the outlier there. So Australia, UK, Sweden, they all had pretty average to below average deaths number of deaths in 2020. Why did we see a 25% increase? Again, I don't know until I started looking at data outside the CDC because there are other aggregates of data who look at these things and have for years. One of them is called, uh, let me look, I'm looking directly from the article here, macro trends. And the other is called Kenoma. There are other ones too, but most of them haven't released their 2020 data yet. So of those who have, specifically macro trends and Kenoma, and you can look these up yourself, they're online. Macro trends had our deaths per thousand at 8.8 per 1,000. Kenoma had 8.9. They were really, really close. CDC, however, had us at 10.4. 
So according to CDC data, our death per thousand in 2020 went up by 25%. According to all the others, it only went up by about 6%. That's in line with the rest of the world. So what I've found in looking at all this mountains of data, so if you, if you zoned out through everything I just said, because I was just spouting numbers and, and statistics and nations and years and all this stuff, here's the takeaway. Of all the data that I combed through, and it took me a long time to go through this stuff, I felt like a real journalist <laughs> for once. I was really looking through all this stuff and getting accurate data and citing it, and it's all in that article at 971talk.com. In all of it, what I discovered was the only outlying numbers worldwide, so U.S. internal numbers and worldwide numbers, all match up except for the CDC's data. What does that tell you? Well, you be the judge. Can you trust the CDC's data? There's a lot on the line for them. A lot of people that work at the pharmaceutical companies, a lot of people involved in politics, way, way up in politics now because the CDC has so much darn power that they used to not have. Eviction moratoriums and things could never, ever in the past have come out of the CDC, and now apparently they can. Or at least they could until the Supreme Court struck that particular one down. But still, a lot of power being thrown around based on CDC data. And it alone, CDC data alone, as far as I could tell, in the entire Western world, is the outlier of data. What does that tell you? This is Wiggins America. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We're almost out of time, so if you want to pick up the podcast, some great interviews this week, I encourage you to look back on and pick up the podcast both in the 6 o'clock hour and this hour if you just tuned in and caught the end of this one. Some really good stuff there. You can rewind with the Odyssey app. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Get more at 971talk.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.